My name is Chris Wayne. We've been part of this church for quite a while now, and uh, I am the associate pastor. I work here on a very part-time basis, quarter-time to be exact, and I help out where I can and when I can, but I, I am gone uh, a little bit of the time. I'm going to India in a couple weeks' time, and uh, my family and I were gone for November and December to Guatemala. So it's great to be back and uh, excited to be able to share this morning. Uh, we were in Guatemala for two months, November and December. This was our third time there, and this is something that has become uh, so near and dear to our family, something that we absolutely love doing. We're planning to go back again. It's become part of the rhythm of how we want to do life as a family. Um, so uh, the rest of my time I spend running a missions organization called Multi-Nation Missions Foundation. We work in 20 different countries, so I, I get to visit many different uh, countries and many different ministries. In, Gu in Guatemala, we have some partners there. And the first time I went six years ago, I just loved what they did because it was a ministry that I really believed in. And so I said, if we ever do something as a family, this is where we're going to go. So three years ago, we decided we're just going to pull the kids out of school and go check it out. And uh, we just fell in love with what, with what was going on there and we've gone back for uh, three years in a row now. So uh, I have talked a fair bit about Guatemala in the past. If you've been part of Creekside for any length of time, you've heard my stories. And so um, I'm not going to spend the whole sermon this morning sharing things that you've already heard. But I'll give you just a brief uh, overview for those of you that are new. So I do have a picture up there, I think. Yeah, there we go. So this is, this is our crew. This is what our life looks like for two months down in Guatemala. So we run a program called English House. Uh, in November and December, it's a summer break for students in Guatemala. and so. We have 33 students come down from their villages. They're indigenous Mayan students. They come down from their rural villages and they live with us for, uh, for from Monday to Friday and they go back home on the weekends. Well, they do this for eight weeks. And uh, this is the crew. So there's my family and two other families and their kids and we kind of run this program. We have lots of visitors that come and help us out. But, um, these are students that, they're, they're very poor. In Guatemala, um, school after grade six is no longer free, so uh, mostly, most of these kids would not be going to school if they weren't provided a scholarship. They'd be working in the fields, or they'd be making tortillas, and they would just continue in the cycle of poverty that they were born into. And so what, the program that we run provides a scholarship for them so that they can finish, they can go through junior high and high school, and then part of that is leadership development and English education. And so we come in and provide that on their summer breaks for uh, November and December. And the kids keep coming back. Yeah, we'll put that picture up there. So they usually start with us at 13, and then they have five years of, of high school to go through. So every summer they come back. So what we love is we kind of pick up where we left off with these students. And they really do become like, uh, like our kids in Guatemala. And it's nice to see them year in and year out and to see the progress and to see the change in their lives. This is what Monday to Friday mornings look like. We teach English for three hours. And, uh, you know, we have first years that know nothing. And then we have fifth years that are speaking almost fluent English. And so we break them up into their, uh, their level of English and we teach them. And this is so much more than an English immersion program. Yes. English is the platform, but this is life on life. So we start every morning with devotions. We talk about God. We talk about, uh, as we want to develop these kids, we, we understand that education is not the only way that we do that. And so, um, so we start with devotions. We point them to Jesus. We talk about, you know, God's love for them. So many of these kids are grown up in situations where they're told that they're not valuable, where they're not worth it, where the only thing they're good for is to work in the fields and, a lot of them even get pushed back from their families when they take the summer off and come live with us because they're not contributing to their families. 
They're not putting food on the table for them. And so they face a lot of opposition at home and from their neighbors. But we really believe that through education, we can develop these kids and we can help, um, we can help break the cyclical poverty. But we understand that uh, it's not just education, it is also um, pointing them to Jesus. And so every morning we start with devotions, we do Bible classes twice a week, and then in our conversations with them, we're always talking about you know, spiritual life and, and growing in faith. And so I just give you a picture, we'll flip to the next one there. Uh, one of the favorite things that we do on the weekends, we'll often go and do a home visit. So we'll actually go up into their communities and visit our students' families and say hello and introduce ourselves. And, and the kids are so excited to show us where they live and how they live. So this is a picture. This just gives you a bit of an idea of, of where they're living. It's not, you know, they're pretty poor. And so those are mud brick um, walls. They've got the tin roof. Uh, in that home, there's two rooms and there's nine children that sleep in there with their parents. Uh, our student, Gloria, she's, uh, she's got her back turned. She, she sleeps on a bamboo mat every night. And so, uh, and, and most of our kids are coming from a life of poverty like this, and everything that, that, uh, that comes with a life of poverty we have to face. And so, um, it, it's, it's so amazing to give them a two-month experience, teach them English, and to talk about values, and to, to show them that they are loved, and that they matter, and that uh, we care for them. Uh, we'll flip it one more there. Thanks, Bonnie. So we've got, they, they like to dress us up in their typical clothing. You can tell there that uh, it's not really fit for a six foot four man. That's, uh, that's the best they can do. But um, yeah, it's great. And they're so happy to share their lives with us because we share our lives with them throughout the week. And when we go up there on the weekends, they're so happy to share uh, their lives with us. And we just, Man, we love these kids, and uh, and it's always hard to say goodbye to them. But we recognize that you know we're probably going to come back again this year, and uh, this is the life that they are in. But they're working so hard to get out of it. What's so rewarding for us is is we've seen eight kids graduate from the program, and they graduated from high school. They've graduated speaking pretty fluent English, and they are all successful. Three of them have got full ride scholarships to American universities. Uh, two of them are working with an American company in Guatemala City because their English is so good. Three of them are working with the technology American company in Antigua because their English is so good and they're making really good money and then they're pouring it back into their communities. They're supporting their brothers and their sisters and their nephews and their nieces. And we're actually seeing the cycle of poverty change as these kids uh, learn English, as they become educated and as they are poured into, as they are discipled and as leadership development happens. And so it's really rewarding for us to see that it's actually working. You know, you can't, you can't just go into these communities and throw money at them and expect them to get out of poverty because that doesn't work. Because there's way deeper issues at play here. And so we try to address those issues, which is why we love the program so much. It is holistic in nature. It deals with the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, and, uh, and the educational uh, issues that they were born into. So that's just a little nutshell of, uh, of what we do. I'd love to talk more with you if you are interested. And uh, Laura and my kids would love to talk to you as well. But uh, I think I will just, I will end there. But I'm going to weave some Guatemala stories into the message this morning. So we'll talk a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's January 5th. It's the first Sunday of 2020. We just celebrated New Year's. It's the turn of another decade. I'm not sure what your habit is over New Year's. But for Laura and I, we spend time reflecting. We spend time reflecting on, our, on 2019, on the previous year, and talk about 
hey, what went well? Uh, what are some things that we can improve as we look forward to 2020? It's usually just some times of, of thinking about our life and making sure we're going in the direction we want to go and tweaking the things that need to be tweaked. We don't necessarily set New Year's resolutions, uh, but we do talk about things that we'd like to change or things that we'd like to see happen for the New Year. Uh, but I know many people do set New Year's resolutions, so I thought I'd look it up and see what are the top 10 New Year's resolutions. And every site that I looked at, the top three were always the same. The other ones vary a little bit, but I'm sure you can probably guess top three New Year's resolutions. The first one, exercise more. Always a top resolution. The second one is to lose weight. And the third one is to save money or to spend less money. And then the others, in no particular order, they talk about, I want to get organized, I want to learn a new skill or hobby, quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, eat healthier. These are the reoccurring things that I saw when I looked it up. Now, I was bored, so I thought I'd look up uh, strangest New Year's resolutions. And uh, it's worth sharing with you because they're pretty funny. Uh, somebody said they want to start washing their hands after they use the bathroom. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, stop drinking orange juice after they brush their teeth. Uh, stop licking frozen flagpoles. <laughs> New Year's resolution is to only eat white snow. Uh, this is a good one. Spend less than $2,000 on Starbucks coffee this year. That might be hard to do. Someone's resolution was to read more, so they, put, they said they're going to put subtitles on their TV shows. So reading more. I guess that works. I heard a really good one on Friday. We had a bunch of people over at our house, and Jeremy was over there, and he said his New Year's goal for 2020 was to gain 20 pounds. So uh, we're going to encourage Jeremy this year, and uh, just, just want you to reach your goal, Jeremy. We're rooting for you, man. Yeah, in, in all seriousness, it's, it's interesting to me that the top resolutions all have to do with personal growth, right? It's either in the areas of physical growth or material growth. Something about your body, losing weight, eating healthier, exercising more, or saving, or saving money, spending less money. But it all kind of has to do with uh, the physical world. And I can't help but think that there's something uh, really important missing on those lists, and it's spiritual life. You know, as we talk about becoming healthier people, I believe that the spiritual life actually really matters and it plays an important factor in the health of a person. As a Christian, I've gotten into the habit of reflecting on my own spiritual life during New Year's and I ask myself the questions, have I grown in 2019? Am I a stronger Christian than I was last year? Am I closer with Christ? Am I experiencing uh, His presence more often? Have I created uh, more solid practices for me to grow? and to pursue God in my life? What are some things as I look forward to 2020, what are some things that I can do better so that I can experience God more fully in my life? These are some of the questions that I ask myself. Um, something that's become a habit for me in the new year is to pick up a devotional and read a devotional, uh, a devotional classic. So I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. I have read this many, many times, and this year I picked it up. And every time I read it, it just like speaks into my heart. And so I wanted to share with you a few, um, a few sentences this morning, if you don't mind. How many of you have read this book or heard of A.W. Tozer? A few of you, okay. That's what he says. Why do some persons find God in a way that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and let multitudes of others struggle along in the half-light of an imperfect Christian experience? You ever wondered that? Why do, why do some people experience God in ways that other people don't? What's going on here? 
And then he goes on to answer his own question and talk about those that do. He says, I venture to suggest that the one vital quality which they all had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven. Something which urged them Godward. They had a spiritual awareness and they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. When I read that, every time I read that, I'm like, oh, I, I want that to describe me. I want to have that spiritual receptivity. I, as I read this, I'm reminded that the Christian faith is not just an intellectual idea. God is not just a set of thoughts or ideas. He's not a philosophy to follow. He's not a moral code that we have to you know, live our life by. God is fundamentally a person. And he wants to be known. And he knows us personally. And God loves and he wants to be loved. God invites us into communion with himself. And it's good to be reminded of this every so often. As you read the scriptures, you see over and over this concept that God wants to be known. God knows us, God loves us, and he wants us to know him. And he's calling us to know him. This is deep and this is personal. He wants us to have a spiritual receptivity. So I want us to consider this morning to add to your top 10 New Year's resolutions something like this. This year, I'm going to seek God more regularly, more passionately, and more intimately. This year, I'm going to be spiritually receptive. That's a good New Year's resolution. I'm going to seek God more passionately in my life. Spiritual receptivity is going to be a characteristic that I can say of myself at the end of 2020. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 105, please. We're going to... Uh, we're going to look at this psalm and a bunch of other passages as well, but Psalm 105 is going to be our launching pad this morning. And I do have it up on the screen there. This is what Psalm 105 says. Give you a second to find it. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. What a beautiful psalm that is. What we see here is a picture of, of uh, the worshiping community actively seeking after God. They are not just innocent bystanders. They're not passive bystanders somehow waiting for God to show up in their lives. No, they are actively pursuing, actively seeking uh, the Lord in his strength. Seeking after the living God. I'm always intrigued in the scriptures when I see the phrase, seek the face of God. Have you ever wondered to yourself when you read that, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that if you read your Bible enough or you pray enough that God's face will literally just show up out of thin air? I don't think that's at all what it's talking about. This is the language of imagery, imagery language. The Hebrew word for face in the Old Testament is often translated, and maybe it's translated in your Bible this way already. It's translated as a presence. Seek the presence of God. When we seek the face of God, what we're doing is seeking the very presence of God. I've never once heard somebody tell me that they've literally seen the face of God, but I have heard countless stories of people who talk about experiencing the presence of God in their life. This is a common occurrence with many people that I talk to. So let's think about this image for a second. When we see somebody's face, there's a connection. You know when you're looking at somebody and they kind of have their back turned to you? There's no connection there. But as soon as they turn around and your eyes lock, all of a sudden there's a connection and you see their eyes and you see their face and, and you recognize their presence. 
right? People that we know well, uh, we can look at their faces and pretty much know what they're thinking, right? Uh, with Laura, I feel like I can look at her face most of the time and I can tell what she's thinking, I can tell what's going on in her mind without her having to say anything. And with my kids as well. The more you know somebody, the more you can look at their face and kind of get a pretty good read of what's going on inside of them. And I think that's what it's talking about. In one sense, uh, a face represents the whole person. And so what we see in this psalm is this really uh, personal, this intensely personal expression of faith. Of faith. God. I am seeking your face. God, I want to know your presence in my life. I am chasing after you. These are people seeking his presence, people seeking relationship with the living God. Now, this is not the only place in Scripture where we see this. We actually see this weaved throughout the whole of Scriptures. And if you read your Bible, you will come across this over and over again, the fact that God is relational, that God is present, and that we can seek him and know him and experience him. In her life, and so instead of me just sitting here reading through a bunch of passages, I helped. I had Noah help me put together a little three-minute um, scripture music thing. So I'm gonna let, I'm gonna ask that you just sit back and uh, enjoy uh, contemplating the scriptures and just see how this theme is weaved through the whole of scripture. And then I've ended it with a couple of quotes from some uh, really uh, important Christians that talk about the same thing. So let's uh, cue that up.
those are just a few of the many scriptures that talk about this pursuit of God, that talk about uh, knowing him personally and that he wants to be known. That when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. So what I really want us to see this morning is that seeking God is a, it's a natural and normal thing that Christians, the followers of Jesus, are called to do. And we are invited to participate in. God reveals himself in deeply personal ways and wants to bless us with his presence. It's not just an intellectual experience. God, God, God wants to uh, speak into our hearts through his presence. Now, I recognize that this is a simple message this morning, but I really think it's worth us being reminded of it, especially as this is the first Sunday of the new year. Like all relationships, you need to invest. If you don't take the time to invest into it, the passion, and you don't have the passion, it's easily, it, the relationship easily becomes stagnant and dull. And sometimes that, that's what we feel like in our faith. And I want to encourage you this morning, seek God passionately. He wants to be known by you. If you seek the Lord, he wants to show himself to you. He wants to become a real presence in your life. So I want to tell you three stories of, uh, of people who have expressed um, an experience of God's presence. And so the first story is I'm going to put up a picture there. This is Andrea. Andrea is one of our students in, uh, in English House. Andrea is a second-year student, so last year she didn't speak any English, and this year she's she was starting to have uh, basic conversations with us. Andrea comes from, comes from a family where her dad is an alcoholic and who was who abusive. This is a very common story for most of the girls, unfortunately. Uh, Andrea comes from a family that is not Christian, and so she didn't grow up going to church. She kind of had this vague concept of God, but didn't know a whole lot about God. And so last year really was an exposure year for her about Christianity and the Bible and faith. I remember the first time I... I uh, did a Bible class. We gave we give all of our students a, a Spanish Bible, and she'd never seen a Bible before. She'd never opened it up and read it. And so last year was really an introduction to the Christian faith. And so this year was really interesting. Within the first few weeks, one of the assignments was to write an essay about how about your life and about things that you want and that you dream of. And I just want to read for you. And keep in mind, she's a second-year English speaker. I want to read for you what she wrote because it was really um, well. It's really cool. It's what she writes. Last year, I didn't know anything about God. I only knew that he existed, but I didn't know his love. Last year, I got to know a lot about God, and today I feel very good because last year I started to believe in his word. And yes, God exists, and now God lives in my heart. Thank you for teaching me about God. This year, I had many problems in school and many more in my family, but with faith in God, now we live better. Thank you to all for helping me believe in God. So here's an essay about something that's changed in her life, and she doesn't talk about English, she talks about God. And when I talked to her uh, on a deeper level uh, and, and asked her a little bit more about this, she said, you know, the situation in my life hasn't really improved. Like, it's still bad when I go home, but I have this strength and I have this peace. That before I knew that God existed, but it was just an intellectual thing for me, but this last year when I really, when I really started to press into God, I really felt his presence, and I feel stronger now, and I feel like I can handle whatever life throws at me. We hear these stories over and over again from these students at English House. I want to tell you a story of another student. Her name is Olga. She's a fifth year, so she's almost speaking 
um, fluent English. And so we can actually have really deep conversations with her. And so in the first week, we were sitting on the couch together and asked Olga how her last year was. And she was asking me how my year was. And her story was, was amazing. Like many in Guatemala, she's a Christian because being a Guatemalan pretty much means that you're a Christian, whether you're Catholic or evangelical. But for her, it never really meant a whole lot. She didn't go to church with her family. She didn't really take it all that seriously in her life. But she said last year something changed. She said after English L, she said, I'm just, I'm going to give God a try. I'm going to really press in here and make it not just an intellectual thing, but actually try and seek after him. So she started reading her Bible, she started going to church, she started serving in her youth group, and she told me, this was her word, she says, I started feeling God's presence in my life for the first time. And I started feeling joy and peace and satisfaction in my life. A joy and a peace and a satisfaction that I've never felt before. And she says, I've had such a great year. And in her situation, her year was actually really hard. Their family couldn't pay rent, their grandparents kicked them out of their house, they're homeless for two months. Like These are normal stories for poor Guatemalans, unfortunately. But she said, I, I had this inner strength that I've never felt before because God is with me and because I was experiencing his presence on a more regular basis. And we hear these stories so often from these students. As they seek God, he shows up in their life, he gives them strength, and they're able to they're able to face whatever it is that they have to face, knowing that God is there with them. You know when we, uh, at the end of English House, we always write, like, favorite part of English House? These are 13 to 17-year-old students. You know what they say? It's devotions. They like devotions. Like, what teenager do you know who says, two-month summer camp, pretty much, living with you wealthy Canadians that are giving them this life that they never dreamed of, and you know what they say their highlight is? Learning about God. It's just absolutely incredible because that's what's actually tangibly making the difference in their life. One of the weekends right at, uh, at the end of November, I took a plane and flew to Belize because Guatemala and Belize are so close. And we have a church plant in Belize. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Belize in uh, later sermons. But for now, I'll just say uh, there's a lot of old Mennonite colonies still in Belize. And old Mennonite colonies, if you know anything about the old Mennonites, it's it's barely Christian, if you can even say that at all. They are so backwards in their religion. They don't have the Bible in their own language. They don't hear sermons preached in their own language. They are told about a God who is angry with them and that they have to achieve, they have to do all the right things and follow all the right rules and they'll still never have any assurance of faith. And so these old Mennonite people, they are growing up with a great fear of God and they can't learn for themselves. And so it's really, really sad. Of all the countries and all the cultures that I've ever visited, this was the biggest culture shock for me. It was absolutely astounding to drive into this Mennonite colony and they're on their horse and buggies and wearing the exact same clothes and speaking you know low German language because that's the only language that God speaks although they don't have a Bible in the low German language and their preacher doesn't preach in the low German language so the whole thing is so backwards it's incredibly sad but anyways so we planted church there because there's this movement there's this growth of these old German Mennonite colony people finding freedom and finding Jesus. And so we wanted to find a church and provide a space for them. So I went there to see it for the first time. And I heard some of their stories. And I talked with men, and their stories were almost exactly the same. It was absolutely incredible. So I'm going to tell you the story of one of these men. He said, just like all old men in a colony boys, I grew up with absolute fear of God. Absolutely terrified that God was coming after me. That I would never be good enough for him. 
God is angry with me, and sin follows me wherever I go. He said New Year's was the worst for him, because every New Year's he thought the life, that life would end for him, and he'd be sent to hell. For whatever reason, he was just so afraid. One, one day he was standing in a field, and a big giant storm blew in, and he ran into the bush because he thought God was coming after him. That's what he said. And then he said another day, he was, he, somehow he managed to get a hands, his hands on a Bible that he could actually understand and read, even though it's illegal in his church, believe it or not. But it is. So there, he's actually reading the Bible in his own language, legally, and he's reading about a God of love, about a God of grace. He's like, who is this God? And he's confused. And he's standing in this field. And I heard three guys say this exact same thing. They were in their field. So these guys are Mennonite farmers, and they find God in their field, apparently. And he was on his knees crying out, God, who are you? And what do you want from me? And he said to me, he said, I felt this incredible sense of peace wash over me. And this joy and this love that I've never experienced before. I heard that story three times. And that's just the guys that I talked to on the weekend. And as they're experiencing God for the first time, it is this loving presence that washed over them. And so there was a group of 20 families. And so they were meeting in a barn. And so we went in there and we helped build the church. And now this is the first evangelical church in this old Mennonite colony. It is it is like on the front lines of missions in a people group that you just wouldn't expect it to be. But story, story over story over story, I hear of people saying, I was lost, I was sad, I was suicidal, life was dark, and then I found God. I sought the face of God, and I felt his presence in my life. And for the first time in my life, I felt peace and joy and satisfaction. And I hear this story wherever I go. I hear this story when I go to India. People who are lost, people who are confused, and they seek the face of God, and they find God. I hear this story in Guatemala of students trying to change their lives and change poverty, and they find God, and things change for them. And I hear it in Belize, and people are finding God. And it's absolutely incredible. And so this morning, I want to remind us all, as we reflect on the new year, as we maybe set new patterns or new goals or New Year's resolutions, can I just say it again? Would you consider seeking God more regularly, more passionately, more intimately? Would you, as A.W. Tozer says, be more spiritually receptive? Because God wants to show up in your life. Now, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, that's all good to hear. But how does one actually seek God? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. So at the risk, and I'm very worried about doing this, at the risk of providing a list of things to do, because it's not about doing things, but there's certainly some great suggestions out there, th- disciplines that have proven to help people seek the face of God. So I'm just going to quickly... Uh, burn through these ones. I've got a few pictures up there. Have you ever heard of U, Uversion? It's the Holy Bible. It's the Bible app on your phone. Any phone can do it. Fantastic app. But one of the one of the ways that you can seek God is get back into the Scriptures. And if reading the Bible is hard for you, grab an app like Uversion. Uh, my wife is going through reading the Bible in a year, and the Uversion actually has uh, it speaks to you. So she actually just listens to three chapters every day, and she says it's great to actually hear somebody else speak it. That YouVersion app has daily verses, daily commentaries, daily reading plans. It's got everything. It's such a great app. So if it, there's something to help you. 21 days of prayer. Our church is starting 21 days of prayer tomorrow. Join up. Sign up. Be a part of this. Uh, grow your prayer life. Christian community. I hope that this one hour of us together is not your only Christian community during the week. If it is, I would highly encourage you to jump into a small group. Or meet for coffee with a Christian friend and have intentional conversations. But, you know, have, have, have um, relationships that are spiritually um, 
uh, intense. Uh, serving, you know, you've heard about opportunities to serve in our church, serving outside in our community, serving globally. Lots of people talk about how they experience God as they serve. We're all wired differently. We're all going to experience God in different ways, but here's just some ideas for you. Worship music, putting on music, just having edifying uh, music going through your brain while you're driving, while you're at home. Lots of times people say worship music really helps them. Creation, going outside, going for a walk, reflecting on on what God has done and what God has made. How about reading? Reading books, reading devotionals. I've got a good, if you, if you, if you like commentaries, there's a good Galatians commentary, Martin Luther, you know, whatever works for you. But uh, reading and studying and really uh, growing and, uh, and exercising your brain and letting that draw you close to God in, in intimacy. Uh, right Now Media, have you ever heard of this app? I've got Right Now Media in the middle. Um, this is a fantastic program. It's like the Christian Netflix. And this is free for all of you. You just go on the Willow Park website and it's there. You've got Christian TV, you've got Christian movies, you've got lots of um, uh, study study programs and devotionals. Really good stuff on there as well. Uh, and then podcasts. This is something that, this is a great resource out there too. Lots of churches out there are provided, putting their sermons online, providing podcasts. You can listen to it while you're driving to work or while you're at work if you're not doing anything that... You know, it was super intense. So these are just some ideas. Again, not trying to give you any rules or laws or anything, but these are suggestions that will help you seek the face of God. And so I'm going to leave it at that and uh, just encourage you this New Year's. God wants to be known. God knows you and he wants to be known. And if you seek him, he will show himself to you. This is a promise in the scriptures and this is an experience of Christians throughout the decades, throughout the centuries. And so... There you go. We're going to end our sermon. We're going to end our morning by gathering around the table here. Uh, and this is a great thing for us to do on the first Sunday of New Year's because we, as we gather around this table, we remind ourselves about what is most central. That every church throughout the history, for the last 2,000 years in every country and every church has gathered around this table to say that Jesus is central. He is the reason we gather together. His life, his death, and his resurrection. This is this is what it means to be a Christian, to believe this. When we talk about seeking the face of God and when we experience his presence, it's the presence of Jesus that we are experiencing. This Jesus who lived and died and rose again. And so as we take, as we take the bread, we remember that Jesus died and he broke his body. He gave his body for us. And as we take the cup, we remember that this is the new covenant. This is the blood that was spilled on our behalf. And this was the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And he says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so the church throughout the whole, throughout, for the last 2,000 years has always done this. This has been a central aspect of Christian worship in any church in any country. And so we gather together in solidarity with Christians around the world this morning and partake in what is most central to Christians. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you believe this, We'd encourage you to come up. I'm going to invite the worship band to come on up here. And we're going to take the cracker, we're going to take the juice, and we'll partake together. So as the band's coming up, let me just pray. And we'll, uh, we'll just quiet our hearts and um, focus on what we're about to do here. God, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you, God, that you are not a distant, scary father. No, you, you reveal yourself to us as a God who loves us, a God who is for us, a God who cares so much that you sent your Son to live among us and to make things right. You send your Spirit. 
We thank you so much, God. And I pray for all of us this New Year's, this 2020, that we can all look back at the end of the year and say, we followed you harder this year. We looked for you more intently. We sought the face of God in our lives. God, I pray that you would lay this passion in our hearts, this desire in our hearts to know you and to love you and to be changed by you, to experience a very real presence of God in our lives. And so, Lord, as we gather around this table, this bread and this, this juice, God, we, we are reminded of what you've done for us, Jesus. And we thank you. And we love you. And we do this as an act of worship and an act of obedience and in an act of solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world throughout the history of the church. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.